Merry Christmas. Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast and a special Christmas message. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I hope that as you listen, you'll be encouraged by the hope and joy of Jesus' birth. Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7, and it reads, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Bells, they come a ringing at this time of year. Sometimes I can't remember if they signal hope or fear. But bells, they come a-ringing at this time of year. Bells, I hear the bells. They move through history like ripples. They hang on every page of the past like a tree dressed in tinsel. For thousands of years they have rung a message simple. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is here in the middle of the beauty and the suffering, of the poverty and the affluence. Incarnation jams a spoke in the wheels, we keep trying to spin harder. Exploitation of the planet, of the poor, of each other. Incarnation says God is found with the meek ones, the weak ones, the always experienced defeat ones. The bells ring, they say gospel is not a pat on the back for the wealthy and the healthy who have to ask, how could God actually help me? A proclamation that heaven's ruler is on the side of the spiritually heavy, where the homeless or in the hopeless clutches of the poverty of plenty, when the thirst for more stuff has only left you empty. From the lineup at Centrelink to the settlement of a penthouse, for anyone who feels unsettled, here's what gospel is about. The bells ring to say, in the upside down kingdom, justice reigns from the bottom. Justice lifts the downtrodden and sees the forgotten. Justice, love, mercy, these are found in the Christ. So may you find Christ on the eve of your Christmas night. In the darkest parts of your life, may you find the light of his life. May you find bells ringing in your heart to declare, the king born in the trough is the ruler on the throne. So be uplifted if you're low, and if you're high, then stoop down. Ring the bells. Ring the bells, let the good news resound. God is near, God is here. In Christ, God has come down. 
Merry Christmas. It's great to have you here this morning. Good to see you. It's, uh, it's always nice. Uh, there's generally a handful of visitors who are here every Christmas with their families out of state or whatever it might be. It's always good to see you here again. And if you're visiting with us, perhaps for the first time, it's great to have you with us. I'm the other Pastor Mark, apparently less dispensable, more indispensable. I don't know. I wasn't asked to cross any bridges, but that's probably just as well. Um, with the exception of Die Hard, whose classification as a Christmas movie I think is a little bit debatable, um, many of our Christmas movies all revolve around a pretty similar theme, don't they? They revolve around the maintenance of uh, childhood innocence and belief. Think about uh, Elf or Arthur Christmas or the Santa Claus or the Polar Express. There's this desire to maintain childhood innocence and belief. Uh, and apparently, you know, things like singing, you better watch out, you better not pout, help maintain that belief. I'm not exactly certain on the mechanics of that, but that's apparently one of them. But the most significant feature, of course, is to have a close encounter with someone who is so full of Christmas spirit that the hardest heart melts and the most cynical soul once again believes. Now, don't get me wrong. You're all familiar with those storylines, though, right? It's not just me who spotted them. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Some innocence and less cynicism would go a long way in our world, wouldn't it? It would make a pretty big difference in our world if there was a more innocence and less cynicism. Uh, it would be, I don't know, call it the spirit of Christmas, but it could be quite transformational if there were a little less greed and selfishness, a little less prejudice and discrimination, a little more kindness, a little bit more compassion, a little bit more love and joy in the world. I mean, if those things were true in our world, things would be pretty different in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in our politics. Now, we could have a good crack at eradicating poverty. We could have a good crack at overturning injustice in our world, and by so doing, release the potential of millions of people around the globe who are crippled by both of them. We could increase our physical and mental health. We could take steps to helping our planet to recover. I mean, it would change the world. This is the hope of Christmas, isn't it? It's the good news of all the stories that you can be better than you are, that I can be better than I am, that we can be better than we are, and together the world can be a better place. That's Christmas, isn't it? But it's actually at that exact juncture between the, the kind of the good news of Christmas and a, and a kind of a look at our world that leaves me, pardon the pun, feeling a little cold. Uh, North Pole and elves and reindeer and all that stuff, that's great. But ultimately, the most that we can hope for in most of the Christmas stories, the big conclusion, the end result, the outcome is presence. Now, don't get me wrong again. I like presents as much as the next person. If you've opened some this morning, good on you. I hope you get something that's nice. But socks and undies and a book to read in January only goes so far to changing my life, doesn't it? Did anyone get 10 mils of rain under the tree this morning? Because that's what we need, isn't it? That's what we really need right now in the worst kind of way. We need things that are much more significant, much deeper than the sorts of things that we're generally going to get under our Christmas trees this year. And again, you know, some of our Christmas stories actually deal with the reality of life. Uh, you think of um, It's a Wonderful Life, or A Christmas Carol, or even The Grinch, all of which try to deal with some of the, the harder components of life. This might actually be why love actually sometimes falls into the category of a Christmas movie as well, because at least it's dealing with the mess of regular life. Although I do wonder, you know... Um, did George Bailey, in, a, in It's a Wonderful Life, did he never struggle with depression ever again after that one wonderful night? 
Did Ebenezer Scrooge, after that one extraordinary evening, never go back to the counting room and think about the wastefulness of Christmas? Did the Grinch really live happily ever after with the Who's down in Whoville? If we want transformation, if we want change that's really going to address our deepest needs, we need a different story. And I'm sure you're not going to be surprised when I suggest to you that that story is actually the birth of Jesus. Because it promises something completely different because it actually seeks to address completely different problems. Uh, the, the, the team just sang for us, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. So I said, it's one of my favorite carols, and I hope that you'll understand why uh, by the end of this morning. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, uh, one of America's most famous 19th century poets. He wrote it in 1863. Uh, and he had not had an easy life. At several points in his uh, career as a poet, uh, as a man, as a husband, he had uh, experienced severe depression. He had been twice widowed once when his uh, wife uh, died in labor, uh, and another when his wife uh, was horribly burnt in an accident in their home. Uh, When he wrote this song, it was just after his son had been injured uh, serving in the the U.S. uh, Union Army, I believe it was, uh, in the U.S. Civil War. And so in this context of grief and darkness uh, and fear, he writes, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And it starts as you would expect most Christmas songs to start with, right? I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carol say, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And regardless of the story we listen to at Christmas, regardless of whether it has anything to do with Jesus or not, that's the underlying message, isn't it? There's something about Christmas that's hopeful. There is peace on earth goodwill towards men. Isn't that fantastic? It's just a a wonderful expression of the promise of Christmas. But here's why I love the the carol. Because verse 3, he gets real. But in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I love that. Isn't that great? It's not just kind of swarmy niceness, right? Oh, it's Christmas, everybody. It's just fantastic. He's going, you know what? I've looked around. It's not fantastic. It's not fantastic at all. And we can all relate, right? You don't need to be a poet given to bouts of depression, twice widowed with a a son or a daughter who's been injured in a military conflict to relate to what he's saying. You only need to look at our wider world, don't you? And the hate and the vitriol, which seems closer and closer to the surface nearly everywhere, or look at our state, which is still burning and still gripped with drought, or look at our own lives and our relationships and our families. We get this, don't we? And this creates one of the great tensions of Christmas because we believe in the promise of Christmas, the great hopefulness of Christmas, the the joy and the love at Christmas, and then we're confronted with our real lives. And it creates a bit of a tension point, doesn't it? And there's a handful of ways we cope with it. One is to basically despair, as uh, Longfellow does, and basically be filled with apathy and indifference. Just kind of go, it's too big, it's too hard, the problems are intractable, there's nothing I can do about it. On the other hand, we might be given to activism. And to be honest, we probably do a little bit of both. How many of you have looked at the problems in our world or in our state and thought to yourself, there's nothing I can do, and then given to a charity anyways? All right? We do a little bit of both. But one of the most popular responses to this tension between the promise of Christmas and the reality we face is to ignore it. 
It's a pretty popular option, isn't it? And we just try to live in a bubble. Let's just have a nice Christmas, right? Let's just kind of get all the right presents and let's get them all under the tree in the right order and let's have a nice dinner and let's hope Uncle Frank doesn't say anything too embarrassing. Well, let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of have a magical day, but we're not going to talk about anything big. We're not going to deal with anything significant. We're just going to try to have this little moment, which is ultimately, of course, a response of fear. It's the fear that our future is going to be less, that our future is not going to have more. It's actually going to be scarcer. And because we are fearful of what our future might hold and that we are, we're afraid it's going to hold less, we protect and conserve what we have. And I hold on to what I have and I don't want to share and I don't want to include and I don't want to risk anything for fear that I'm not going to have enough. But there's another answer. There's another answer that's also found at that same intersection between the promise of Christmas and the world in which we live. Before the song was sung, there was a reading from Isaiah chapter 9. It might be familiar to you if you've kind of been around churches around Christmas. At the very least, you've probably heard the line, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given, relating to the birth of Jesus. And that's all well and good, but when Isaiah the prophet was writing, he wasn't writing directly about what was happening at the birth of Jesus. He was writing instead to a group of people in the 8th century BC in Jerusalem. And before you think, oh great, here's another story that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it's probably more relatable than you think. Because the people of Jerusalem at that point in time had, and see if this sounds familiar, had just come through an almost unprecedented period of economic growth and prosperity. Nearly everything had gone well for the people to that point in time. They'd had more territory, trade was good, and because trade was good and there was peace in the land, everything improved across the board. Life was good until things began to change. And all the old certainties began to crack, and it looked like their world was about to collapse upon them. Power had shifted in their region, and they were now under threat from a nation to the north that had expansionist and imperialistic designs. The countries closer to them in the region around them were putting pressure on them to come up with a sustainable plan for a sustainable future. And if they didn't get this sustainable plan quite right, the consequences were going to be quite dire. There was a chance of economic regression, of the loss of territory, of the watering down of the national identity. There was a real threat that the king, who was in a long line of kings from David's line, was going to be the last king of David's line. There was a real threat that the city of Jerusalem would fall, that the people would be exiled, that it was going to be all over. And into this situation of fear, and uncertainty about the world in which they live, Isaiah speaks these words of hope. And they're fairly extraordinary. They're, they're kind of framed for us in its original context as pitching forward to a prince to be born, a prince who God would establish on the throne, someone who would continue this line of David and who would reign in a period of peace. And he describes it in kind of, uh, kind of traditional language. He says that when this prince comes, when this reversal happens, it is just going to be remarkable. It's going to be like it was in the days of Midian, 
a famous battle for the people of Israel, much like we might talk about D-Day on the beaches of Normandy, something that turned history for them. He said, it'll be like in the days of Midian when the oppression was so great, when the, when the threat was so intense, when the pressure was so much that the people had almost collapsed in on themselves. And when God raised up a hero, the reversal was so swift that they expanded into the vacuum that had been left. It will be like that, Isaiah says. It will be like a blazing sunrise after an incredibly long evening. The future, Isaiah says, is so bright, you're going to have to wear shades. Nobody from the 80s in this service either. It's remarkable. I thought I was a fair chance with that. He talks about this as a period of joy. He said this is going to be the joy of harvest. The joy when everything that has to go right goes right and it all works out in your favor. It's going to be like the joy of uh, splitting up the plunder. When you have risked everything, you put it all on the line and it's paid off. It's that kind of joy. Isaiah 9, 2-7 is Isaiah's first verse of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. What does he see in the future? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The promise of something better. But for the people of Israel, their experience, their immediate experience, was not quite what Isaiah had envisioned. There was freedom, and the line of David continued, and Jerusalem did not fall, but it was a peace that had come because they had surrendered. It was a peace that came because they were now a vassal of a much more powerful nation, They lost territory. They lost political independence. There was an increase of taxes and tribute. There were mixed loyalties. There was a dilution of the national identity. All of this happened. So yes, there was peace. And yes, the king still reigns. And yes, the city still stands. But, and in this peace on earth and the reality that they faced, many took the words that Isaiah said and spoke and decided to find hope in them that they were not exhausted in the events of the 8th century, but instead had a future fulfillment, something yet to be realized. For early Christians, they turned and saw the birth of Jesus as that fulfillment, the fulfillment of one who is the light of the world, the one who brings joy to the world, one who can live up to the titles of everlasting father and a mighty God and wonderful counselor and prince of peace, who will establish and usher in a kingdom that will last forever because it is completely different from every other kingdom on earth, not grounded in some sort of geographical location that does not require or rely on political power, does not need military might or an economy to sustain it, Instead, it is found in the hearts of women and men, daughters and sons, all over the world. This is the hope for a future. It is the hope that leads and and, and invites us into a completely different experience. Fear causes us to collapse in. It causes us to shrink in. It drives us inwards and keeps us from being uh, those who would share and be generous and be kind. Hope, when it fills our lives, invites us into a very different experience. Because hope says your future contains more. Your future contains better. And because your future contains more, you are free now. If you will allow that hope to fill your present, To be open-handed and big-hearted and kind and compassionate and inclusive. 
In a word, you fulfill the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. Which brings us back to the song. Because the song doesn't end with despair. I'm not sure how many carols would survive this long if they just said, isn't Christmas wonderful and doesn't our world stink, and then left it at that. Because there's a final verse, which for me brings the whole thing home. Do you remember it? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I love it. It speaks of the promise of Christmas. It allows me to look honestly at my world, and it invites me into hope. God is not dead. The hope that comes from the birth of Jesus. Because the birth of Jesus was not all about wonderful, nice, cute, swarmy nativity scenes. The birth of Jesus is the promise of restoration and renewal that begins with you and with me and with our families and our communities and our neighborhoods and will build all the way through businesses and politics and change our world. That is hope. And for hope... That hope to fill my present invites me into a completely different way of living, and it invites you into a completely different way of living as well. So ring the bells. Are you listening? Ring the bells and hear the promise of the birth of Jesus. Hear the promise of restoration and renewal, of forgiveness of freedom from those things that enslave and addict you. Hear the bells. And ring the bells. And have a good, honest look at your world. Get out of your bubble and have a look. If you haven't seen it before, have a good, hard look. Because the promise of Jesus tells us that we can look the problems of our world in the eye and say, you will not win. Ring the bells. Ring the bells and step into a life of hope. A life that invites us to live away from and apart from fear. Ring the bells. Are you listening? Are you listening and will you hear them this Christmas? I trust that you and your family will have a wonderful, blessed, and safe holiday. I hope if you're traveling today or tomorrow or in the next few weeks that you will be safe as you go wherever you're going and when you return. I trust if you've got some leave over this time that you'll feel refreshed at the end of it and ready for a new decade and a new year. But I pray that you will experience the hope that Jesus promises and offers this Christmas and that you might decide not to live in fear but to live in hope instead. The birth of Jesus really is good news of great joy, a declaration of hope that invites us to live our lives differently. This Christmas, I pray you will find the courage to take God up on this extraordinary invitation. May God bless you this Christmas season.